Welcome to Hogan Lovell's newest podcast, Digital Assets and Blockchain, The Influencers. We're bringing you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices, creating change in the digital asset space and highlighting the trends and issues you should have on your radar screen. Hi, I'm Lavin Thasrith Kumar, a consultant in the digital assets and blockchain team at Hogan Levels. I'm very pleased to be joined here today by Roland van der Stappen, who's Vice President, Policy and Engagement uh, for EMEA at Crypto.com. Roland, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you for the invitation. So a bit of context, Roland and I have known each other for quite some time, actually, since I was working at the European Parliament. And uh, we, had a, we had a Friday tradition of going to a cafe near the Parliament called Carsmackers to get a coffee and an orange juice, freshly squeezed orange juice, um, and nerd out on FS policy and whatever file that we were working on. So it's a real privilege to be able to crystallize that chat in the form of the podcast here. And, and, and from a... Uh, crypto influencers perspective as well so uh, pretty cool happy that we continue our journey together Levin. <laughs> um your journey into crypto in my opinion is one of the most interesting ones you know you you, you started out in uh started out in barclays and moved to visa and then now at crypto.com perhaps talk us through that i've always been just like you interested attracted to to innovation because in the end it's about making progress and challenging the status quo and that's brings up the most new and interesting policy questions, which makes our jobs very interesting. And it's been indeed like a, a journey, like the two of us started uh, chatting in that coffee bar about uh, open banking, and then it was very much fintech versus, versus the banks. It was seen as competition. It moved towards like more of a partnership model. Then I think the two of us started to work on the digitalization of banking agenda because obviously there was appreciation that banks had to both have both have to maintain and invest in legacy systems and also in new technology and i think for me with crypto what has been my my main interest uh, is it's about reimagining uh, financial services and having a new uh, infrastructure and uh, foundation that can do do more so probably just like you i couldn't resist do uh, work in this sector. You're absolutely right there. You know, when we started out working in on the kind of fintech agenda around PSD2 and open banking, there was always that adversarial look. There was the fintechs versus the traditional uh, banking side of things and who would prevail over the other. Do you, do you think, you know, it, it's interesting here, do you think that that's the same situation now with crypto? Is that the narrative that we're at? And, you know, you talked about us landing in a position where we're now working in partnerships. Do you think that's what's going to happen with crypto as well? Crypto, just like fintech to some extent, will be about partnership, but it's also more, right? I think if you were to ask a question, is crypto the new fintech? You can always approach it in two different ways. You have um, fintech as a technology and as a, and as a player. And I think as a technology, crypto is a bit like cloud or mobile technology in that it helps improve, automate uh, elements of traditional finance as we, we know it. So obviously, crypto goes well beyond uh, financial services because obviously that is also the foundation for um, uh, Web3. But as, as a player, I think crypto companies have the potential to grow in directions and well beyond those of existing fintech players, but also in partnerships with uh, in incumbents. And I always think fintech uh, is about 
mainly about getting the most and more out of legacy financial systems. And that's how we started with uh, with open banking. And it's very much innovation on the uh, front end. So it's a better and seamless customer experience. And we also see now continuous strides into embedded finance, whereas crypto is different in a way that it's uh, it starts with innovation at the infrastructure uh, level, uh, and you then have uh, capabilities that allow you to have more room for innovation uh, later. But also, think it is at the infrastructure level that the the benefits and utility are not always easily understood, because obviously, still a lot of progress needs to be made. But uh, I still am very uh, excited and confident that if you combine the uh, capabilities of public blockchain, smart contracts, tokenization, that we have this new powerful foundation for continued innovation and, and, and growth. I think that's the thing. I think it was a really good point there. FinTech was the front end and crypto is the back end here. And what's interesting, we worked, as you said, on open banking, and that was all about opening up financial services, regulation and, and kind of um, mandating the opening up of financial services. But the use of this technology by its very nature opens up the infrastructure to, for that innovation um, that regulation was trying to achieve. Now, do you think that by virtue of adopting this technology, we'll move to a position where we'll go fully decentralized or and, and we'll remove the need for banks? On your first point around like opening up, I think that's, a, that's, an, that's an interesting point, right? Because Obviously, with public blockchains, uh, you have, things are open, interoperable by nature. So I think some of the policy questions that we worked on before may be solved more easily or differently. Uh, will we go fully decentralized? I think what I like also about this industry is the, obviously the ethos is that we believe in decentralized uh, future. A lot of the exchanges also have their uh, DeFi and self-hosted wallet, which we offer as an option. To, to customers, but I, I still believe that uh, like a big part of, of the people will always uh, want to have a, a trusted intermediary, a regulated intermediary, because it's often just more convenient. And there's also uh, an, another level of security, because if you do have a hack of you make an erroneous uh, transfer, um, that intermediary can um, kind of um, co cover you. Whether I also think there's still a future uh, for 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 banks, uh, obviously, and we see uh, we will see more. I think corporation. I think I would say crypto as a service is is, is something that we will um, hear more of. You know, one of the points that you picked up on there is uh, about comfort and trust, and I think that's the the topic, the in vogue topic at the moment, right? Um, in, in light of recent events, there is that real need to build up trust. How is it that you think that we can do this? Obviously, the FTX collapse has set us back reputationally. I think trust has been uh, eroded a bit, but I think um, one of the bad outcomes here for us would be if people uh, were to conflate that collapse of uh, of the, this example of clear human misconduct with the promise of the technology. So in order to rebuild trust now, we need as a company or as a sector need to act and use technology to be more transparent about keeping our customers' crypto assets fully segregated and safe. And that's why you kind of see the mantra about keeping one-on-one uh, reserves 
um, as the standard by which all crypto trading platforms must operate. And that means that if you have 10 Ethereums, um, uh, if you own 10 Ethereums with us, we keep 10 Ethereums in a core wallet. And that's kind of like the, the vault uh, in a crypto context. And we will see many firms publishing their uh, proof of reserves um, soon. I think that kind of transparency will be helpful to rebuild trust, but it won't, um, I, I think it will go a long way, but obviously we still need regulation uh, as well to kind of uh, set the industry up for long-term success. It is at the moment a conflation of the the technology with human misconduct. Um, I think one of the things that we've been talking about uh, recently is, is not just looking at what needs to be done in regulation, be really interested to know uh, your thoughts on this as well, um, but what it is that we need to do around governance. Uh, Post-financial crisis in the UK, for example, we put in place the senior managers regime, which put more accountability on senior managers and kind of create that governance, as well as the need for there to be post-financial uh, uh, crisis regulation. Um, I think that's that's certainly something that will be needed from the industry as a whole. But on the regu regulatory front, of course, Mika has been agreed, and it will be coming into force somewhere between Q1 and Q3, uh, depending, on, depending on which titles we're talking about, uh, 2024. Now, is that the answer? Is in Mika being in place, is that the answer to prevent... Um, situations that have happened in recent months and to build help build that trust i think mika is like a very good foundation and um a, a, a lot could have been prevented uh through through mika i think about rules that are in, uh, would be put in place in terms of custody also i think requirements to have uh, a board and a proper govern uh, governance system obviously mika also has market integrity rules uh, so I think it's a very it's a very good foundation, but I think we, um, uh, we've also seen many other players make the point that crypto markets are global by by nature. So we need every jurisdiction to put in place a similar framework. So we very much support like minimum global regulatory uh, st stand standards uh, to avoid um, regulatory arbitrage. And I think. Um, Authorities also need to kind of uh, work uh, to improve information sharing, to kind of supervise the the larger um, the larger entities. Um, but as you said, like Mika is only coming in, in place in in two years' time. So um, in the meantime, industry needs to uh, act. And I think all these transparency initiatives are welcome to kind of restore that trust and uh, also work through trades to put in place back practices and code of conduct as well. Of course, you do that as well as Hogan Levels through um, GBBC Digital Finance on on building those codes of conduct, on, on attesting to those as the best practices that, um, that the industry would want to operate in. Um, and if we do see those best practices come in, if we do see this regulation come in, Will we then start to see more of an influx of institutional adoption? And when that happens, is that is that what leads to real scale in this area and those, you know, one greater trust, two greater ability and uh, and competition uh, to be able to 
produce those new innovative products and really scale. I think regulation will go a long way in kind of enhancing confidence by traditional financial players in assessing partnerships with crypto firms. Um, also still think that there is a great institutional interest to gain exposure or enter the crypto market despite uh, what we're seeing uh, now. And uh, we believe that like institutional adoption will really grow uh, the market, but it's, it's something that takes time. It will probably be a gradual process, but once these players commit, they commit for the long, uh, the long term. Um, I do think institutional adoption you will see in different shapes and forms. I think we first seen I think the neo banks, the fintech players, kind of offering exposure to, uh, for the customers to select crypto crypto assets. And I think the first driver was to kind of diversify their revenues also maintain interaction with customers because people uh, tend to maybe uh, open their crypto apps more than their their, their banking apps. Um, we also still see, maybe not so in Europe or the UK, but like banks in other parts of the world are interested to also give exposure to crypto assets within their banking app. But uh, in other jurisdictions, banks are not allowed by their financial supervisors. I think this will change uh, when the... Um, social utility of crypto becomes more more clear. So I think there's an interdependency um, there. And I think on, we'll probably see uh, on like the institutional, like when like sites, like we still see asset managers, hedge funds, kind of trying to gain access uh, to crypto through crypto derivatives. And obviously we have a play there because we have two CFTC registered um, um, exchanges, I think, there, I think we see probably further further growth and also partnerships between between players. Obviously, still need to see a, a true um, ETF for for crypto that that is based on on, on spot markets. I think their regulation will really help because I think at the US, one of the arguments from the SEC against the launch of this grayscale ETF was the, the, the is lack of um, regulation, whereas on the derivative side, they, they felt more comfortable because that falls within uh, traditional uh, tr- traditional means. But I think, so it's going to be for me like institutional adoption. Yes, there is already interest. I think it will grow with the further adoption of the technology and the use cases that are, are, um, are, are built, built of it. And then it will kind of, uh, snow, snowball moving forward. It's also one of those things at the moment because you, you referred to it just there, but at the moment there's a real kind of drawback from certain financial institutions, you know, certainly from the retail perspective of limiting uh, limiting retail uh, transfer from, uh, from their bank accounts into uh, crypto exchanges. Um, and, uh, see that's very much led by recent events but then also when you look at it from a regulatory perspective the kind of direction of travel that we're going in at the at the moment with the Basel consultation process which feels very very quite punitive in holding um, crypto and digital assets uh, with the with the prudential requirements that are uh, placed upon them but I think once we move in the direction of one building that trust but then two, also building that understanding around this and putting in place regulation and those safeguards, I think we'll start to see the space become more competitive 
uh, and more worthwhile uh, operating in. And then, as you say, there'll be that snowball effect, which will um, which will lead towards greater adoption. And I think on on that point of the Basel committee consultation, we we obviously see that when stable coins might be the most regulated of uh, will be the most regulated of all crypto assets. As a result, I think um, potential treatment for those when banks have them on a balance sheet will be most uh, beneficial. So you maybe see these two kind of concentric circles of like those uh, um, aspects of the crypto industry, which will be regulated the most um, heavily. There will be probably already closer integration uh, with the financial system. Yeah. Then I think there are also other aspects, right? Like um, um, review of accounting standards um, with respect to how corporates hold crypto on their the balance sheet and all of these um, kind of sites supporting policy matters will, will also be key for future mainstream adoption of crypto. But this is something that obviously will take time. Yeah, and you're right. And and, th- and actually, this is part of that maturity process, right? There is, and that comes through regulation, but then also just kind of time elapsed, which will just lead to a period of time where there are greater kind of... Um, standards, internal systems and controls and kind of processes and governance that are in place, but that all happens in that maturity process. We've seen that with financial institutions about how their processes have changed uh, over the years as the, as the industry itself has matured. And I think we'll, we'll start to see that. We're, we're seeing that now um, in, uh, in, in, in recent months and I'm sure we'll see that going forward. Um, which actually, you know, we're running out of time here, um, but leads me to a question for you. you know, we are back at Carsmackers with an orange juice in hand. It's Q3 2023. What are the what are the big things that we're going to be talking about? What are the big things that we're going to be seeing in the industry? Always hard to predict the future, in particular in in, in crypto, um, but obviously, I think we will see continued progress at the infrastructure. And protocol level, I think, especially in this context where developer teams um, uh, and capital will now focus and concentrate around the most uh, promising projects, um, we'll still see increased um, partnership and collaboration between traditional finance uh, and crypto. I think, especially on the institutional side, and obviously, the the recent uh, market developments will kind of give a push and accelerate uh, work within each major jurisdiction to kind of put in place that regulatory framework for players like our, ourselves and issuers of crypto assets, in particular stablecoins. Um, but regulation will take time uh, to be implemented. So we, I think we mentioned like two, two, maybe two to three years. So it's on the industry to, to act and, and look to restore trust through transparency in actions and uh, working together uh, with trades like GVC to um, to set that uh, the standard for industry and um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I th- uh, think. Obviously, there will be other uh, other policy questions coming uh, coming away. I think DeFi is is gonna be a challenge for for many policymakers. Well, I look forward to seeing whether your uh, your predictions come true. That's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for joining us here today. Um, stay tuned 
for our upcoming episodes, which will feature further conversations between Hogan Levels and some of the leading influences in the digital assets and blockchain space. Visit hoganlevels.com forward slash blockchain for more podcasts and other resources, or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.